are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. We come, we cry, we watch, we wait. We look, we long for God. It's called uh, the Diefenbunker, now operating as Canada's Cold War Museum, located in the hamlet of Carp, just outside of Ottawa. And back during the time when conservatives were forward-thinking rather than reactionary, the government of John Diefenbaker, Canada's only prime minister from Saskatchewan, ordered construction of an underground bunker It was the height of the Cold War. And as someone who was born right smack in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis, I've long held fascination with that time of nuclear arms escalation and how the world, it seemed, teetered on the brink of nuclear war. The Diefenbunker, as it came to be known, began as a top-secret military project. I toured it last weekend while we were in Ontario. You enter through a long, cavernous tunnel, and the entrance to the bunker appears partway through the blast tunnel at a 90-degree angle, so that in the event of a nuclear blast, the force would be channeled through the blast tunnel, bypassing the entrance. The entrance is a huge vault-type door, weighing several tons, tons, and once inside, you walk through a first shower, which you would take fully clothed, and then you'd strip down and dispense of your now wet clothes through the lead trap door chute, and you take a second shower. Further along the maze, at which point you'd be issued a new set of clothes. There are four stories to the bunker. Covered with about 15 feet of earth on top of reinforced concrete. It was intended to provide continuity of government, being Close enough to Ottawa, you could easily get the Prime Minister and the Governor General, along with senior cabinet ministers, out there fairly quickly if needed. And there was a medical, there was a room to house 500 people there, and provisions enough to last some 30 days underground. There was a medical center complete with an operating theater, a CBC sound studio for broadcasting emergency updates, rooms of teletype machines for communication with the outside world, a room for the federal cabinet to meet, and offices for essential cabinet ministers, defense, external affairs, treasury board, etc. There's also a huge vault that is set up for the storage of Canada's gold reserves should that need ever arise. There's also a prime minister's suite, which included a separate bathroom and shower, a room with one single-sized bed, cot, an office with one of those 1960s-style 
desks, and an office for the prime minister's secretary. It came to be called the Diefenbunker because Diefenbaker was the prime minister who commissioned its construction, but apparently Diefenbaker himself never set foot inside that facility. Thank God, the feared nuclear attack never happened. There were apparently uh, plans for the prime ministers to spend a weekend in the bunker, a test run of sorts, just in case. When informed by the chief of defense staff of these plans, Diefenbaker directed that Mrs. Diefenbaker be informed as well. Prime Minister, that cannot happen. Why not? Well, this is a top secret military exercise. Spouses are not welcome. Well then, Diefenbaker replied, I won't go. And Diefenbaker sent instead one of his uh, subordinates. He was not going to spend a weekend without Mrs. Diefenbaker. The Sabbath would not be the Sabbath if they could not be together. That bit of Cold War historical trivia provides an interesting segue into tonight's gospel, which on the surface appears to be about the conflict Jesus initiates, as he was wont to do, a conflict he initiates with religious authorities about what is permissible and what is not permissible on the Sabbath. A debate which centuries later would continue with the Lord's Day Act in many provinces, which directed how Sunday was to be observed as a day of rest and worship. No retail locations open save for the odd corner store, perhaps a pharmacy and a few gas stations. In many a community, we rolled up the sidewalks on Saturday night. Nothing happened on Sundays. And most certainly nothing that could, might hint at the commercial, at the secular, or God forbid, the profane. Healing a woman possessing a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years, a generation, and leaving her bent over and quite unable to stand upright, it seems that Jesus is breaking all the rules. Commentator Janine K. Brown channels the perspective of this no-name woman who had got used to looking at people out of the corner of her eye, looking up and sideways. After 18 years, no name could hardly remember any other way of looking or seeing the world. This Sabbath, however, there was special excitement. Jesus of Nazareth had come to town, and word was that he was going to be doing some teaching, maybe some healing, too. Everyone had heard reports about this Galilean preacher and prophet who talked about God's reign arriving even here and even now, and how 
and healing people. I'm sure about how many rumors to believe. No name tried not to get her hopes up. No name had known more disappointments than she could count. And yet, to synagogue that day, on the Sabbath, she traveled. No name entered the synagogue. The place was abuzz. Jesus begins to teach, and the room is a mixture of hushed anticipation, charged with excitement. Jesus' words turn from teaching to invitation, and Jesus catches her eye. Again, no mean feat, given that he had to lean over and crook his head to do so. Woman, you are set free. Jesus speaks, lays hands on her broken, bent, and worn-down body. No name feels power surge through her. Her crooked back now straightening, lifting her heart, offering thanks and praise. And no name is suddenly given a new name, daughter of Abraham. And daughter of Abraham takes her place. Incarnating audacity of hope, Jesus risks an action that will no doubt attract attention, even ire and ridicule, disdain, and more of the Sabbath purists. Daughter of Abraham takes her place. It's all quite stunning. Hope and chutzpah all mixed together. Quite apart from the debate over lawful behavior on the Sabbath, the essential thread with tonight's gospel is how the Holy One meets us wherever we are. However far we might have wandered, however crooked or crippled or bent over or bruised we may feel, God meets us then and there and here and now. The Holy One never gives up on any of us. No matter how far we wander, no matter what burdens, real, imagined, temporary, or chronic, episodic, or recurrent that we carry, God doesn't give up on us ever. No matter how forlorn or forgotten, bent, bruised, and forgotten we might feel, and those feelings are real. God never forsakes us. And somehow, in the mystery, in the encounter with grace, 
we take our place as part of God's holy people. We are called, we are commissioned, we are invited, and we are provided food for the journey. Writer Anne Lamott provides a parallel, for instance, recalling her regular weekend visits to a flea market just outside of Sosololito, California. She writes, if I happen to be there between 11 and 1 on Sundays, I could hear gospel music coming from a church right across the street. It was called St. Andrew Presbyterian, and it looked homely and impoverished, a ramshackle building with a cross on top, sitting on a small parcel of land with a few skinny pine trees. But the music wafting out was so pretty that I would stop and listen. I knew a lot of the hymns from the times I'd gone to church with my grandparents and from the albums that we'd had of various spirituals. Finally, I began stopping in at St. Andrew from time to time, standing at the doorway to listen to the songs. I couldn't believe how run down the place was with terrible linoleum that was brown and overshined and a plastic stained glass windows. But it had a choir of five black women and one rather Amish-looking white man making all that glorious noise. And a congregation of 30 people or so radiating kindness and warmth. During the time when people hugged and greeted one another, various people would come back to where I stood to shake my hand or try to hug me. I was as frozen, as stiff as Richard Nixon. After this, scripture was read, and then the minister would preach, and it would be enough to send me running back to the sanctuary of the flea market. I went back to St. Andrew about once a month. No one tried to con me into sitting down or staying. I always left before the sermon. I loved singing, even about Jesus, but I just didn't want to be preached about him. I could sing better here than I had ever had before. As part of these people, even though I stayed in the doorway, I did not recognize my voice or know where it was coming from, so, but somehow I felt like I could sing forever. Eventually, a few months after I started coming, I took a seat in one of the folding chairs, off by myself. Then the singing enveloped me. It was furry and resonant, coming from everyone's heart. There was no sense of performance or judgment, only that the music was breath and food. Something inside of me that was still 
and rotting would feel soft and tender. Somehow the singing wore down all the boundaries and distractions that kept me so isolated, sitting there, standing with them to sing, sometimes so shaky and sick that I felt like I might tip over. I felt bigger than myself, like I was being taken care of, tricked into coming back to life. All of us some of the time, and some of us all of the time, like Lamont, uh, like that no-named turned daughter of Abraham, feel so shaky and sick that we're afraid we might tip over. And yet when chutzpah-infused grace meets us wherever we have wandered, catches our eye, touches our heart, we find ourselves connected with something bigger than ourselves. Our wounds are honored, our vulnerability respected. We are healed and taken care of. And we indeed are tricked into coming back to life. We come, we cry, we watch, we wait, we look, we long for God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.